Is Jesus able to help needy people? Is Jesus willing to help needy people? These are two questions that burn in many the heart of needy men. And these two questions are central to the passage before us this morning, which I just read, Luke 8, 40-56. Let me show you the centrality of these questions to our text this morning, taking one question at a time. Is Jesus able to help needy people? Is Jesus willing to help needy people? Let's begin with the way that Jesus deals with Jairus in this passage. In verse 40 we read, Now when Jesus returned, and that is, returned to Galilee from across the lake. Jesus has just returned to Galilee from across the lake, and unsurprisingly, there's a crowd waiting for him. Jesus has been growing in popularity. He is at least a teacher who says many interesting things and teaches like no one ever taught before, and so people gather around to listen to him. This is why he's called the teacher in verse 49. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. He had a reputation as a teacher. Jesus is at least a teacher. Which is why he's called the teacher in verse 49. But more than that, Jesus has healed a leper. Jesus has healed a paralyzed man. And a man with a withered hand. And even a young man who has died. Jairus, who is introduced to us here in this passage as a ruler of the local synagogue in that region. Jairus has a daughter who is dying. Now presumably there are no other options. Presumably she needs more than the standard medical treatments of the day can provide. So the man is desperate. And those of us who are parents can surely empathize if we had a dying child. We're not told what was wrong with the girl. Maybe there was an accident, a farm accident, or uh, some other kind of trauma that brought her to the brink of death. Or perhaps it was something that started with a small sniffle or cough and progressed into something much worse, where she was in serious trouble. In any case, this man has come to realize that his daughter is not going to make it. And so he goes to the man who is rumored to have healed things that no doctor can heal. Falling at Jesus' feet, verse 41 tells us, Jairus implores Jesus to come to his house. This is not the language of a detached request. Jesus, if you have some spare time, would you consider swinging by my house? I got a daughter who's not well, but I wouldn't mind if you could have a look at her. No, this is a desperate plea. Falling at Jesus' feet, Jairus implores Jesus to come to his house. Is Jesus really able to help my daughter? Surely this is a question that would have crossed Jairus' mind. That would have been burning in Jairus' heart. No one else can help at this point. But maybe Jesus can. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the ruler. As Jesus stops in verse 45 
to ask, who was it that touched me? Peter is the guy with no filter, who voices what everyone, especially Jairus, must have been thinking. Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. In other words, what do you mean, who touched me? Everyone is touching you. Imagine how Jairus must have felt. He is desperate to see his daughter preserved from death. There are no other options. Jesus is his only hope, and Jesus is on the way to his house when he stops to ask such a trivial question in the middle of a crowd, who touched me? The journey of Jesus and Jairus to Jairus' house is literally a matter of life and death. Yet Jesus stops. Why? Doesn't Jesus know that very soon it will be too late and he won't be able to do anything for this little girl? I believe that it's actually to confront this very line of thinking that Jesus intentionally stops. If Jesus goes straight to Jairus' house, hustling, hurrying the way that a typical doctor would, as if everything depended on him getting there in time, we wouldn't see the scope of Jesus' ability to help this needy man. Jesus is no mere doctor. Jesus is no phony or fraud like the televangelists who depend on the right circumstances and a good dose of the placebo effect and then hope for a coincidence to give the appearance of having made things right. No, Jesus is he who raises the dead. And his raising of the dead is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus is able even to raise the dead, then he can do anything short of raising the dead. Jesus is well able to help needy people. And he wants us to know it. He wanted Jairus to know it. And so he stopped until Jairus got the message that his daughter died in order that he might be able to go and show that he is well able to help needy people. That's why he deals with Jairus the way that he does. Let's look now at the way Jesus deals with the unnamed woman introduced to us in verse 43. She isn't named the way that Jairus is, but the background details of her situation given to us in verse 43 indicate to us that she was in fact known to Luke. Otherwise, how would he know that she had spent all her living on physicians and couldn't be healed with anyone by anyone and had had a discharge of blood for 12 years? Luke knew this woman's backstory. She isn't named the way Jairus is, but the very fact that the background details of her situation are included here indicate to us that she was known to Luke, or at least became known to some folks among Jesus' followers who then passed it along to Luke. 
And that is a profound reality, believe it or not. For this woman, then Luke 8, wanted nothing more than anonymity. This woman wanted to remain anonymous. She tried to sneak up and touch Jesus secretly because she believed that he was able to heal her, but she wasn't as confident that he'd be willing. She was afraid that if she asked him who is able to heal, that he would reject her, that he would say no, that he would not be willing. Jesus had put Jairus in a difficult position, stretching him to the max as he stopped on the way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Jesus had intentionally intensified the situation with respect to Jairus' daughter, waiting until Jairus got the message that his daughter had died before Jesus goes to raise her. And Jesus did it in that case to show that he was able to help needy people, even unto death, even in death. Jesus likewise puts this woman in a difficult position, stretching her to the max as he calls her out of the crowd, out of anonymity. Jesus calls her to make herself and her needs known, to make her plan to get healed known, that she had tried to touch the fringe of his garment without making herself known because there is no prospect more frightening than being known and vulnerable and rejected. This is why she snuck up. This is why she did it secretly. She knew that Jesus was able, but she wasn't sure if Jesus was willing. Verse 47 says that it was not until the woman saw that she was not hidden that she came. She would have preferred to remain hidden, you see. And even then, when she saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling. Only with the utmost reluctancy did she come make herself known to Jesus. What was she afraid of? Maybe that Jesus would take her healing away? Or perhaps that he would allow her to keep her healing, but that he would give her an emotional wound that would never stop bleeding, so to speak. That he would say something that it would be so embarrassing and so humiliating that it would be out of the frying pan into the fire with her body healed and her heart severely wounded. She was afraid that though Jesus is able to help needy people, that Jesus might not be willing, in her case, to help her. I suppose that she must not have been there in the crowd when Jesus said in John chapter 6, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Well, Jesus is willing. Jesus is able to help the needy person. And Jesus is willing to help the needy person. What does this have to do with Good Friday? The day that we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, 
And more importantly, Jesus wants you to know that he is willing and able to help needy people. The phrase in verse 49 is a phrase that we often utter in our hearts too, if we're honest. We tell ourselves, don't trouble the teacher. Do not trouble the teacher. Don't bother the Lord Jesus. Don't bring him your fears. Don't bring him your anxieties. Don't bring him your weaknesses. Don't bring him your sicknesses. Don't bring him your sins. Don't trouble teacher. Needy one. This passage shows us that Jesus is both willing and able to help you. No problem is too big for Jesus, even death. And no person is too small for Jesus, even a woman who wants more than anything to remain anonymous, who sneaks up in a crowd. No person is too small for Jesus. Jesus showed us these truths in various ways throughout his earthly ministry, healing this one and that one, stopping to speak with and to touch this one and that one, to have dinner with this one and that one. Jesus showed us these truths that no problem is too big for him and no person is too small for him. Jesus showed us these truths in various ways throughout his earthly ministry. And Jesus showed us these truths most ultimately at the cross. There he dealt with our biggest problem. And there he dealt with the smallest of us. The giant problem of reconciling us sinners to a holy God was resolved as Jesus bore on our behalf the righteous penalty required by the law. The curtain, in, the curtain into the most holy place in the temple was torn to prove that the problem was resolved. The way for us sinners to get in there to God's presence was opened by Christ Jesus. Clothed in the sinlessness of the Son of God and washed in the blood of the Lamb. We may come in boldly to that place where once only the high priest could go and him but once a year with very specific requirements attached to his entrance and still with fear and trepidation. Now the mercy seat is open to us. As we read earlier in Hebrews, we may come, in fact, we're commanded to come. How boldly! And all of us, even the thief on the cross, who reviled Jesus until his final hour. Do you realize that the gospel accounts tell us that both thieves railed at Jesus at first? Until one, finally, in his final hour, by faith, laid hands on Christ Jesus as Savior. Even that thief who reviled Jesus until the last minute and then took hold of him as Savior, even he may approach the thrice holy God as boldly as Abraham, the friend of God. As boldly as Job, Daniel, and Noah. The three men noted in Ezekiel 14 as being especially Righteous in a relative sense. Even the thief on the cross may now come into the holy place as boldly as Abraham, Job, Daniel, 
and Noah. For it is not in our own righteousness that we get in there, but because Jesus has dealt with a big problem, our sin. By his death on the cross, Jesus has helped needy people in the biggest way possible by reconciling us sinners to a holy God, propitiating God's wrath, that is, turning it away from us, atoning for our sins, clothing us in his righteousness in order that we could enter in and not be struck down by the justice and the righteousness of a thrice holy God. And Jesus did that not just for the who's who, not just for the Abrahams of the world and the Job's and the Daniels and the Noah's, but Jesus did that for the thieves on the cross. Jesus did that for the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus did that not just for the biggest ones, but the smallest ones among us. Not just for the brightest and the best, but as 1 Corinthians 1 says, for the weak. The cross is where Jesus shows us most fully and ultimately what he showed us all along throughout his earthly ministry, including in Luke 8. That he is not only able, but is also willing to help needy people. We read earlier from John chapter 10 that no one took his life from him, but he laid it down. He did it willingly for us. When your heart tells you not to trouble the teacher, you tell your heart to shut up. Because Jesus doesn't mind being troubled by you. Jesus is willing and is able to help needy people. This is why Jesus came, to help needy people. Your neediness doesn't bother Jesus. Your neediness doesn't trouble Jesus. Jesus doesn't mind when you come with your weakness and your frailties and your anxieties and your fears and your sicknesses and your sins. That's why He came. Our hearts often do wonder, as Jairus's and as this woman's must have, is Jesus able? Is Jesus willing? The answer in Luke 8 is yes on both counts. He is willing and able. And the answer at the end of Luke's gospel and Matthew's and Mark's and John's as Jesus hangs on the cross, the answer to these twin questions, is Jesus able and is Jesus willing, is also yes on both counts. Jesus is able and Jesus is willing to deal with the biggest problems of even the smallest of persons. No matter how weak your constitution and your frame, no matter how anxious, insecure, and unstable you are, no matter how sick, no matter how deep your sin runs, Jesus is willing and able to minister to you, needy one. Jesus may delay your healing, even until you get to the other side of the Jordan. That is, on the other side of death. Jesus may expose your anxieties 
and heighten your anxieties before he dismisses that. As he did with this woman, challenging her, challenging you to make yourself known. Jesus may convict you of sins that you've never even seen inside yourself before. He's not here for temporal health, wealth, and prosperity to make your life your best life now. But when he convicts you of sin, it's to make you holy. When he exposes your anxiety, it's ultimately to dismiss it. When he leaves you in your sickness, don't worry. You're not going to be sick in 10,000 years. Jesus came to make all things new. On his timeline, not ours, but he did come to make all things new. He will manifest in the end both his ability and his willingness to help even the most needy of sinners with their biggest problems, no matter how small and insignificant these people themselves may be. Luke 8 shows us that Jesus is well able and is also willing to deal with the problems of needy people. As does the end of the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus lays down his life for his people. Jesus is both willing and able to help needy people. You can be absolutely sure of that. We see it over and over and over in the Gospel accounts, culminating at the cross. And Luke 8 is but one example of the disposition in the heart of Jesus towards needy people who come to him with our petitions, with our needs. Let us then do the obvious thing and come to him with our petitions, with our needs, with our weaknesses, with our sins. Let us take refuge in him.